today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Elcantan. The Gentiles, the unbelievers around them are surprised that the Christians don't join them in their sin. And they call them names. They malign them. They call them things like backward and repressed and stupid. But Peter says, listen, this mindset, armed with this mindset, reminds you of the reality in verse 5 that they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, Peter takes us right up to that moment when, when we stand before God. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Time is short. Jesus can return at any moment because there are no more prophecies that need to be fulfilled in order for him to return. As the end draws near, the world will become more and more angry with Christians. If you are living for the Lord, the world will mock you for not partaking in the same wickedness that they are indulging in. Pastor Ricky will be encouraging you to take heart because one day you will be with Jesus in paradise and he will judge those who rebelled against him. Now, here's Pastor Ricky with part two of his message entitled, The Time is Short. This passage is kind of bracketed by these two time statements. It starts out by saying, your time is limited. Don't live like you did in the past. And here's a bunch of bad past behavior. And then it jumps to the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, live this way in the future. So not only is time limited, not only does that make your past life bitter, but remember that the end is at hand. Um, in the Bible, the last days are all the days between Jesus' first arrival and his final return. Jesus coming inaugurated kind of the last days. We are living in the last days. That's why anytime somebody comes up and goes, Pastor, did you know we're living in the last days? I say, yes, we are. That's true, as we have been for the past 2,000 years. This is, this is the way the Bible speaks about this last, kind of this end of history that we are in. Now, listen, we do not know when Jesus will return. And, and look, we can get used to laughing off predictions of when Jesus will come back. Every, I mean, it seems like every year somebody comes up with, oh, I found a secret code and this is, this is why um, Jesus is going to come back. I was at the, the, the BSM and their, their, their library and they said they... They were getting rid of old books, and the, some of the ones they got rid of were all the books that predicted, like, had titles like Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988 or Why Jesus is Coming Back in 2001. They figured that they were expired so they could just get rid of those, right? And we get used to that. We hear people proclaim this stuff, and we're used to going, yeah, yeah, whatever. But church, it doesn't change the reality that Jesus can return at any moment, and he will return probably when we least expect it. And we must remember that, listen, our own lives and our own end is at hand. We do not know how much time the Lord has given us. We do not know what accident or virus or car wreck to, could bring us to the feet of Jesus sooner than we thought. The end is at hand. 
And the implication from what Peter has said is not that when this life ends, well, it's just over, that's it, we cease to exist, but that when this life ends, our life with Jesus truly begins. And, and everything that Peter laid out in 1 Peter chapter 1, that we have um, eternal blessings and eternal inheritance that are kept undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven by Jesus for us, all of that, the door is open to all of that. That's what Peter means when he says the end is at hand. The end of this life and the beginning of our eternal life. So Peter says, arm yourself with this mindset. You need this to survive. And you especially need this in suffering and trial and hardship. This changes everything. And he gives an example of how it can change things in in verse four. He says, the Gentiles, the unbelievers around them are surprised that that the Christians don't join them in their sin. And they call them names. They malign them. They call them things like backward and repressed and stupid. But Peter says, listen, this mindset, armed with this mindset, reminds you of the reality in verse five that they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. See, Peter takes us right up to that moment when when we stand before God and we reevaluate our lives. And he says, in, in light of that coming evaluation, this, their evaluation of you should matter really not at all. I, um, when I was in, in college, I, I took a pre-law class. And um, this test, this class was unique because it was trying to simulate what law school would be like. I was in a pre-law program. And um, it was on a, it was on a kind of tort law, um, civil suit law. And the class consisted of lectures um, where we would take notes, cases that we would study on our own time, and one test at the end of the semester that was your entire grade. There were no quizzes or attendance points. It was one test. And so it, 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 it kind of created this weird environment where some of the students became absolutely desperate and gave up their personal lives, right? Like you're supposed to be in law school, I guess. And and stopped doing anything except for studying for their classes, and especially this class, because you had no idea what was on the test. Literally anything that you covered that semester could be on the test, and you had to write legal opinions in this one four-hour final exam. Now, other people started out with a pretty strong resolve, like, yeah, I want to go to law school. We're going to get in there. And, And the first weekend, everybody studied. The second weekend, most people studied. The third weekend, a decent number of people studied. And the last weekend, you know, you, you started to see people dropping off and people that were like ready to go on Monday morning because they had a great weekend of study started to look a little drowsy or a little, well, looked like their weekend's activities were catching up with them at that moment. And yet the test still came. Everybody in the class, regardless of they, of they felt like the test was at hand or not, still was faced with the test. And I remember some people, like this one guy, I thought he was going to have like a breakdown like during the test because he was so distraught because he had no idea about this one section of it. See, in a similar way, um, our God is a loving God. Our God is a just God. Our God is a sovereign God. And sometimes we get used to thinking about God as, okay, he just gives a pass for everything. It doesn't really matter what we do. He just loves us. But friends, there's going to come an evaluation at the end of time. You're going to stand before one greater who ultimately matters. 
and your time is limited. And he says, don't go back to the things you used to do and live in light of the fact that the end is at hand. And so I wanna address a couple categories here. First one is uh, for people in high school or in college, because in that time, it kind of feels like you have unlimited time in front of you, right? It feels like your whole life is in front of you. Like there's all these dreams and hopes and, and, and desires, and, and there's a temptation to think, okay, well, listen, I can get serious about my faith or living for Jesus later, right? I'm just going to get through this, but like, I'm sure once I get through college and get a job, I'll start getting more consistent or I'll start really honing in on this or I'll start really serving or really fighting sin or really trying to find Christian friends. I'll, I'll do that later. But I want to encourage you with Peter's words that the time is short. Live in light of that. Or maybe you're, you're a young family. This is kind of our season of life, right? And it feels like you literally have no time because all of your time is grabbed by grubby little toddler hands that grab all of your time and get smudges all over it. You wake up to a kid crying, you go to bed exhausted, and in between, the only thing keep you going is coffee, right, or whatever. Um, you just sort of feel like some days you're existing. But this, this can help. Uh, and, I, and I don't mean in any way that this should sort of add pressure to you. Like in, the, in, in, in light of everything you're doing, just do more for Jesus because time is short. That's not what I mean at all. But, but it provides clarity because when you have such limited time, what you do with your time makes a huge difference. How you spend those few moments of time that you have free or available makes a huge difference. So just think through, are the things that my wife and I giving ourselves to, are the things that we're giving time to with the kids, the things that I'm giving time to when I have a, like, a spare 20 minutes that's miraculous, are those things really ultimately what matter? And then just a comment to those growing older, um, maybe your kids are, are getting older, maybe you have a little bit more free time, or maybe you're nearing retirement, and you, you actually have a little bit more time than you did, and and. And maybe you're feeling like, oh man, this is finally my season to kind of live a little bit more. The reality is that if you are not intentional about the way you use your time, it will be spent anyway. Things will happen in that season of life that begin to take more of your time without you realizing it. And without you really realizing it, you realize you're giving your time to lots of different things. And, and I guess what Peter would do is he would plead with you and say, listen, Friend, brother, sister, remember the time is short. Are the things that you're giving yourself to really what matter? I was at a conference this week where the pastor, one of the pastors preaching, described a conversation with his dad. And his dad was retiring, had been retired for a year or two. And, and so the son asked him, the pastor asked him, well, what are you planning to do kind of with your retirement? And the dad kind of just described the life that he was already living before he stopped working. And so... So the son asked him, well, what are you going to do kind of with, with the extra time, like when you're not going to the office? Because he was saying, you know, we're going to keep giving to the church, serve a little bit, you know, check in on some family members. And, he, and so the son was going, but, but what are you going to do with like the, the, the time, like the day, like the majority of your time, what are you going to do? And he's like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I just, I thought this was kind of the season. And so the son really encouraged him and he said, dad, you, you are so gifted. Um, you have a lifetime of experience in following Jesus. 
Um, you, you have so much to give to the world around you, to the church around you, to your neighbors, to this community. Don't, don't waste this time, Dad. I love you. And he did it in kind of a really respectful, loving way. And I thought, I, I, I thought that was awesome. And he, he talked about how his dad prayed about it. And he decided to invest his time really helping and coming alongside a low-income school and mentoring all of these, these kids that were on the football team that really never had dads. And that's what he decided to give his time to. So he'd, he would go to practice with them and he would um, cheer for them and he'd, he'd uh, kind of do things to, to rally the community around the football team. And, and I love that. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're in that season of life, don't feel like you don't matter anymore. You are called. God has a purpose for you. There is so much that you can do. But the time is short, so invest it in the things that matter. Now, now, very briefly, that was kind of the majority of what we're going to talk about today, but very briefly, I just want to touch on some of the actions that Peter talks about. And I encourage you to revisit this this week. I just want to give you some categories to think about this through. So you have this, you have this mindset, right? Um, but it leads to action. See, understanding that, arming yourself with that way of thinking changes the way you live. Uh, sometimes people will tell me, well, I'm, in, I'm not really into theology. I just like the practical stuff. Well, Peter, in the middle of a situation where these people are in desperate need of help, who are feeling persecuted and beaten down, what does he give them? He gives them theology because it changes the way that they think and that changes the way that they live. And so what he does is he sets up two kind of competing views of, of, of two, two different sorts of community. So there's the community of sin in, in kind of verse three, and then the community of the church that's supposed to be in contrast to that in verses seven through 11. Now, remember something though, that, that Peter has already told the church that they're called together to do something, to proclaim Jesus, and that the way that they build together is actually supposed to be a witness and testimony to the world around them. They're supposed to be a city within the larger city, and a city that proclaims who Jesus is and lives out the reality of that so that other people in the broader city will look in and go, what is going on in there? And he pits two different things against each other in several categories to show us what, how we are supposed to live. So we're, the time is short, let's go. Well, it means four things. First, it, it affects your head, the way you think. It means a clear head, not drunkenness with sin. So Paul says, on the one hand, don't pursue sensuality and passion and drunkenness. Don't pursue kind of this muddled thinking, but be controlled, verse seven, and sober-minded. Now, our world does not like to be clear-headed. And here's why. This is the reality. Life is hard. When we stop and think clearly, our, when we realize life is hard. There are some things we wanted to do that didn't, we didn't get to do. Our conscience begins to convict us. There are things that we feel uncomfortable about. There, there are hurts in our past that we haven't gotten over. And so what we do is we go, okay, what can I gather to myself that'll numb this away from myself? I, I heard a, um, a comedian who was joking, but really speaking truthfully when he said, listen, I, I, I had a hard childhood, okay? I, de I dealt with a lot of issues, and so I do comedy because comedy essentially is us together for a few minutes forgetting the horrible, mind-numbing reality of our 
human existence. And I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> but I think it's true, right? You want to be entertained. We want something to take our mind off of things. We want to watch something. We want to feel something. We want to go out and do something. We want to drink something. We want to forget the reality of how hard things are. Let me ask you a question. If you go on a lot of Netflix binges, is there something you're trying not to think about? If you can't stop checking stuff on your smart smartphone, if you just impulsively always have it on and in front of you, is there something that you don't want to think about? See, the world wants to say, okay, numb yourself. That's the best you can do. Have as much fun as you can. Try to think about life as little as possible. But Peter says, no, 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 no. I want you guys to be clear Headed. I want you guys to dare to see the world as broken as it really is. I want you to understand that sometimes the weight of your family and friends and life and job are hard, but you should be able to see the world in all of its reality and not be afraid. You know why? Because there is a day coming when all things will be restored when every wrong will be made right, where every hurt will be healed. And because of that day, there is hope today. There is hope that the broken people around you can find hope in healing and restoration in Jesus. There is hope that you can walk through suffering and praise the Lord because of Jesus and because of where you're going. There is hope that your family can, which seems like they'll never be reconciled, can be reconciled because of Jesus. There is hope in the middle of the reality that you find yourselves in. So Peter says, be sober-minded, think clearly. And second, this affects your heart. It affects your head. It also affects your heart. He, he encourages them toward love and not lust. See, the heart of lust is that you want to take what is not yours for your own selfish purposes. When you're lusting after someone or something, you're, you're thinking about yourself. You're going, what do I want? What would make me feel good? You're not thinking about that person's good. There's a nonprofit organization called Fight the New Drug which takes a, is taking a stand. It's, kind of, it's not even a Christian organization. It's taking a stand against pornography. And um, they share a bunch of research that, that pornography actually rewires your brain. That the way then you begin to experience joy and intimacy becomes more and more self-centered and cut off from real relationships to the point that you actually can't engage in real relationships, and it becomes an addictive thing like a drug, and it can even escalate to where you seek more and more and more of it out and more perverse types of it. And really, this is our whole view of sexuality and our culture in a nutshell. It's, I want this because it makes me feel good. It has nothing to do of what's good for the other person. And this isn't just applied to kind of sexual lust. It's, it's, it applies to any type of lust of, of I want that thing. I want that life. I want what they have. But the, the reality is that the time is short. You don't want to give yourself to that. You want to give yourself to self-giving love. Peter says, above all, like, okay, bottom line, love one another earnestly. The opposite of lust, which is I'm going to take what doesn't belong to me to make myself feel good, is love, which says I'm going to give of myself what doesn't belong to you for your good. The time is short. And so Peter says, listen, 
you've experienced the reckless love of Jesus for you, that he would call you before the foundation of the world, that he would die as a righteous person for the unrighteous, that he would cause you to be born again, that he would give you a future inheritance you don't deserve. That is love. And so respond to the world around you with that love. It affects your head. It affects your heart. It affects your home with a godly influence, not a sinful influence. Now, I don't understand this, but apparently this was happening, okay? Apparently, in their context, it was relatively common for people to just have wild parties where they would get drunk and hook up and break as many commandments as humanly possible in the space of an evening, right? And we go, oh man, what a terrible culture. Ugh, those pagans. Like, people in the first century are so terrible. But listen, this is the end goal or desired end goal of every pop and country and rap song that I've ever heard probably, okay, right? It just, just seems like, okay, so what's the goal here with this song? Like, where are we trying to go? Oh yeah, we're trying to get drunk, hook up, hurt people, make our ex jealous, um, forget about the world and have a great time. And, and, and see, what Peter is doing, which is, which is really interesting, he goes, listen, what the world does, it, it uses its home, meaning its influence, meaning its circle of relationships to promote sin, okay? But you use your home and your life and your circle of relationships and your influence to promote good things through hospitality. It literally is contrasting orgies and hospitality, which I would not have thought of doing that, but Peter is inspired, so we're, gonna, we're just going to go with it. Um, in the Middle East, hospitality was an especially important concept. It was, it was turning strangers into friends. And so what he's saying is, okay, the people that are coming to faith, the people that are investigating um, kind of Jesus that are in your gatherings, I want you to be hospitable to them. I want you to give of yourself and your home and your life and your influence to promote good things in the world around you. Now, see, I, I love this because sometimes we think, well, listen, I'm not doing, I don't have any orgies or drunken wild parties at my house, so I think I'm good. And Peter says, mm, no. Peter says, the goal is not just to not do those things. The goal is to positively use your home for godly influence in the people around you. This is our call. This means that the time is short. So invite that new person over for dinner that joined your community group. The time is short. So actually invite your coworkers to lunch or invite them to your kid's birthday party. The time is short. Bring in that widow that doesn't have anyone else to live with. The time is short. Consider adoption. Consider foster care. The time is short. Use your home as a platform for ministry. And last, your hands will end here. Many of the sins listed above, used, you, people use their hands to exploit others or for selfish reasons, but, but Peter says, no, no, no. You have received gifts, and I want you to use your hands to bless others, to serve others. And he gives kind of two big categories for service, speaking gifts and, and kind of service gifts. And the assumption is this, church, every Christian is gifted. There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian. Peter says, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hoping God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Hope is something that many people have little of. 
and yet we clamor for the latest this or that, believing that our longing for hope will be fulfilled. Pastor Ricky will be teaching through the book of 1 Peter here on Better News Radio. We'll learn that hope is something that is beyond this world and that our lives will become holy once we hope in the eternal. For more information, email us at radio at betternewsradio.com. Sometimes it is just easier to call. Our phone number is 915-562-7100. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that number to call is 915-562-7100. You can learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen to or download for free at betternewsradio.com. That's betternewsradio.com. You'll also find contact information, driving directions to the church, and details about activities and upcoming events on our website. We also encourage you to follow the Better News Radio Twitter feed at Cross of Grace EP, where Ricky tweets additional thoughts about the messages you hear on Better News Radio. Or connect with us on Facebook at Cross of Grace EP. Well, that's all the time we have for today. From all of the production team here at Better News Radio, we want to say thank you for tuning in and please make plans to join us again for the next edition of Better News Radio. Better News Radio.